0: Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension Soybean Specialist, Dr. Sean Castile, and Extension Corn Specialist, Dr. Dan Quinn. On this episode, Sean and Dan discuss how corn is no longer king in Indiana or the U.S. After USDA's prospective plantings report last week showed that farmers will plant more soybean acres than corn.
1: You know, that's that's just really driven by what we've been talking about for for months. It's just the nitrogen fertilizer aspect of it. I'm looking at you know prices that are double, pushing triple what they were last year. And
0: tips for those planting beans on beans. This podcast is made possible by the indiana corn marketing council and indiana soybean alliance your indiana corn and soybean checkoff investments yesterday are paying off today new research new uses demand creation bringing dollars back to the farm check it out at yourcheckoff.org now your host for purdue crop chat who's your act today's eric pfeiffer
2: welcome into the purdue crop chat podcast wait i need to i need to redo that hang on here guys Welcome to the award-winning Purdue Crop Chat Podcast. I, um, I've i always wanted to be an award-winning broadcaster. Uh, this particular category had absolutely nothing to do with, with broadcasting, so I don't know how that fits. Um, but I'll let uh, Sean, Sean Castile is here. Sean, I'll let him explain... Uh, how we are an award-winning podcast now. Can you can you explain that well, for us? Well,
3: uh, at least uh, there was a competition. There's more than one in this category, so uh, <laughs> we can go ahead and say that straight out. It's one thing to be award-winning if you're the only one in the category or competition, but uh, every year within our professional society, uh, the agronomy Society, uh, we have an opportunity to kind of share our extension materials in, in various venues, so whether it's newsletter articles, websites, and and I put our podcast in for one of the digital communication uh, competitions. And so uh, this last last uh, fall, and we found out this winter that uh, our our Purdue crop chat, here was award, awarded first place out of the competition. There were several others um, in some categories, to be quite honest. There's only a few in there, but I mean, they placed the second and third. So it was in competition. So um, I think that speaks volumes again to this collaboration that we have. And in particular, that's through you, Eric. I mean, yeah, we didn't get in the broadcaster. I'll, I'll try to put it in there. I don't know if they're going to do anything with me, but uh, no, this is certainly possible by the way you guys interact with us and, and really set this off. So that's, that's where we're coming from
2: well it's incredible where it's come from where we started it, it just kind of popped up as an idea mm-hmm. after after one of the field days here at that uh, we're yep. here at the research farm with yep. the indiana corn and soybean innovation center recording this again today and again we want to thank our friends with the indiana corn marketing council and indiana soybean alliance for sponsoring the podcast uh but it, it all started just as an idea here that we start getting together and, and talking through this stuff first with mm-hmm. bob nielsen now with Dan Quinn. Dan is here as well. Hello, Dan. Hey, Eric. And uh, it's just kind of neat to see how far this has come and what we've been able to do with yep. it, grow an audience, and uh, we certainly appreciate the, the partnership with Purdue Extension and getting this accomplished, so uh, really happy to do that, but uh, I guess now that I can tout my award-winning status, we can we can move on and we can talk agronomy, right? That's what we're here to do.
3: Well, I think so. Every now and then we want to flavor this with education, but we can have a few humorous points, and you know, my see if we can get a bumper sticker for you, you know, that Perfect. instead of the, the honor roll, it's award-winning get, student.
2: Get get one that says, "My husband is award-winning broadcaster in agronomy," and uh, we'll stick it on the back of my wife's car. Okay, we'll do that. sounds good. Um, so let's let's talk agronomy. Let's talk talk i mean because planting season is is right around the corner here um it is rapidly approaching as a matter of fact some i heard maybe already got out and started doing a little bit uh maybe maybe a touch too early but we'll touch on that here in a moment uh but first i just kind of want to touch on the prospective plantings report that that came out uh here uh, not too long ago and dan what's going on man corn is no longer king not not just in the u.s but also here in indiana 've got we've got soybeans on top we have more farmers looking to plant more soybeans than corn. What say you to that?
1: <laughs> well first of all, I'd say it's unfortunate <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, but you know that's it's just really driven by what we've been talking about for for months is just the nitrogen fertilizer aspect of it. I'm um, looking at, you know, prices that are double, pushing triple what they were last year. Also the scarcity aspects of of farmers even thinking, Can I even get nitrogen fertilizer? You know, you have to have nitrogen fertilizer to produce a successful corn crop. So if we don't have that or if it's astronomically, you know, high priced Folks are going to start gravitating towards maybe should I put soybeans? Should I put back-to-back soybeans in certain fields, mm-hmm. or implement some more soybeans, um, just so they don't have to worry about that nitrogen fertilizer aspect.
2: Well, Sean, let's let's talk about soybeans here, since since you know they are they are king now. You're you're you are now king Castile. Oh, um, that has a
3: nice uh, ring to it. I know. I just no. hope
2: I don't get dethroned. <laughs> well. Let's let's talk about soybeans, because obviously there there are going to be more of them. Sure. So folks are going to start planting them. And presumably, you know, they they want to go early anyway with Mm -hmm. soybeans. Yep. Uh, So I guess the first question is, is how early is too early? Sure. And especially with all this rain we've had and it looks like we'll continue to Mm -hmm. have. How early can we actually make it happen?
3: Right. When we talk about soybeans and, and optimizing yield and that potential, you know, timely planting is, is a huge part of that. That's foundational. And so late April, early May in a general sense is, is what I say for the state in the Midwest. But certainly that can change if we're talking the southern areas, you know, tend to warm up a little bit sooner uh, than the northern areas. And so we can kind of push that. But here we're talking about April mid uh, April 6 right now. And it's, it's pretty wet and it's going to be a, a good while before we get out there. I don't think that. That we're losing out on any yield potential certainly I know that there's plenty of folks that want to push planting dates and, and last year we were able to even get out at this exact date probably and um, you know th- we're not losing out I guess is uh, short of that the second part of that is as more acres are going to soybeans it's okay whenever field conditions are fit I mean that's really where we're at um, and so still want to be within that late April, early May. When we go beyond that, that mid part of May is when we start to lose out on the yield potential. And, and so with soybeans, we're trying to do a combination of things, of getting more photo period uh, influence as well as heat units. And so then we get more node development and more pods. And so it's all this cascading. So that's what uh, really a timely planting is doing for us.
2: Now, Dan, on the corn side, I know you recently wrote an article um I didn't take the time to read it. I just saw That's the right. headline and uh, and thought, thought you <laughs> thought you could just explain it to me. I, I do talk to you somewhat frequently, uh, but it was about corn planting and the mm-hmm. the, the, the timing associated with that. Can you yeah. share some of that with us yeah. for so, those that don't like to read? <laughs>
1: well, you know, uh, you know, there's been a big recent push. Uh, a lot of guys are switching to where they're planting their beans in, in front of their corn. So, you know, I want to put some articles together, and I've given some talks recently on when to plant corn and. You know, I've poured over the literature, I've went through old articles and, you know, read a lot of Bob's stuff that he's done in the past, and, you know, I've kind of came to two conclusions uh, when it comes to the best time to plant corn, and, and number one is, it's whenever you want, um, <laughs> whenever you want to plant corn. And and two, uh, or if you
3: want it all, right? Yeah. So I mean, so let's shoot.
1: <laughs> and and two, uh, it depends. Oh yeah. man, you know that was. You
3: haven't even been here a full year as an extension <laughs> specialist, and you got that was that my fir-
1: That was my first day. I had that lesson. You know, that's you know, the bumper depends. sticker that's on the back of your truck. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends. Um, but you know, it's important with corn. Is like ta- Sean talked about. You know, what are your goals? So if you want to plant early, if you want to. Get the neighbors fired up with your planter and roll it down the street and get everybody talking. You know, you can do that or you want to catch an insurance date or do you want to reach, you know, the timely planting when field conditions are fit. I think that's the most important aspect when it comes to finding a time to plant corn. Uh, typically, they say, you know, when we get past May 1st, if you're delayed past May May 1st, you're losing about a half a percent of yield per day. You get down to later May, that's 1% of yield per day, but that's potential yield. It's not actual yield. Um, so you look at when it comes to corn, we want to plant in timely you know a timely fashion when field conditions are fit when soil temperature soil moisture conditions are are really fit So we can get that corn plant out of the ground rapid uniform emergence um, And then we're off and moving that's more important than trying to get it in early that corn seed sits in the ground Maybe two three four weeks um, Just because you got it in early it exposes it further to stress, so it really comes back to trying to find a period when we're hitting those soil temperatures that are averaging, you know, above fifty degrees. Typically, you always hear fifty degrees soil temperature. That's when we can plant. Mm-hmm. You see pictures of people out in the fields with their soil thermometers saying it's fifty degrees. I can plant. Um, but there's certain aspects, you know, looking at that um, forecast, that future forecast, mm-hmm. is it above 50 degrees all the time. Is it at night? Is it dipping below 50 degrees? Is it hovering around 50 degrees? Even then it can take corn two, three, four weeks to get out of the ground. Or if you look at soil temperatures that are maybe 60, 65 degrees, it might actually take that corn plant only a week, 10 days to get out of the ground. And that's, you know, preferably from an aspect of getting that corn plant out of the ground, getting it uniform, good emergence, and getting it off to a good start.
3: So, again, with that, you're talking soil temperature, right? So mm-hmm. we're not we're not talking air temperature. Yeah. We're not talking about, you know, going down six inches either. I mean, it's up upper two inches or so. Yeah. What's that soil temperature? And you think about – um How much rain that we've had, and the cooler temperatures—it just—it takes time to warm those soils up when they're saturated. And then you throw a little insult to injury with this in terms of okay, you maybe have some more residue, and and so it takes a little more time to to warm those up. And so all of that comes into this play of what's a good seed bed for corn as well as soybeans. And we use that same magical 50 degree Mm -hmm. number, right? Um, But I dare say that we we need to be mindful of okay, the average of that, and then the forecast uh, going into that planting yeah you
1: think about like no-till or cover crop acres just because you you know the air temperature is this or my two inch soil test your soil temperature is is at 50 degrees that residue levels and you know soil texture and elevation throughout the field varies Um, so there's probably areas of the field that maybe are below 50 degrees sure. or higher than 50 degrees. So that's something to be aware of um, as yeah, well. Yeah,
3: and whenever you're putting that in, if, if I don't know how many farmers and, and crop advisors are actually doing it across the field. I, yeah. I dare say there's not many, but yeah. it's like, okay, what's that gut? Even if you are putting the soil temperature probe out there um, to make sure that you're representing that field, right? So uh, I think about soybeans and we have over half our acres are in or into no-till corn stocks. And hopefully we're actually splitting those rows if we're doing 15 inch rows and we're getting into less residue type issues. And so, okay, let's take that temperature. But for the fun of it, go ahead and go under the heavy residue and say what the difference is in soil temperature. And just six inches is going to be huge. And so we got to be mindful of that. Yeah,
2: sure.
0: You're listening to Purdue Crop Chat brought to you by your Indiana corn and soybean checkoff organizations. Visit yourcheckoff.org.
2: Now, Sean, I was just with a, a farmer yesterday, and we were joking about, hey, it's time to start planting, right? It's right. Time, to, time to get out there. And, and he says, you know, we've we've been out there th- this early, um, you know, and it, it was soybeans. We got to get them in early, 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 sure. early. Sure. And then the past two years, he's done it early, and then it... There was a frost. Mm-hmm. So that's always a concern yep. here, too. And and I guess I would, you know, I, I assume you would caution folks against getting started too early from that standpoint.
3: Right. You know, that's that's certainly one of the things when you look at the two crops in particular, uh, if both crops are up I and mean, and within a, a week of emergence and we get a frost you know, we normally think of soybeans being the one that's really going to get hit worse. And in particular, because our growing point, the growing point of soybeans is above the ground as soon as it emerges. Whereas corn, it's still hiding out. It's in hibernation (laughs) until about V5, V6. And so it's got a little insulation, quite literally a little bit of insulation, right? Uh, And so with that on the soybean front, even with that being said, um, I have been surprised over the years that uh, we can have beans up. I, I remember a few years ago we had like a 28 degree night. I mean, it, it just it nailed them, but how how was the, the terminal bud was it clamped inside of the unifoliate still and so there's actually some level of protection we had some burn we had some injury um, but then they still developed out of that and so uh, you have to kind of be mindful of it the beans can recover but boy if they get burned enough you they're gone whereas corn okay it's going to look ratty for a little bit you can correct me if I'm wrong Dan but then it'll just regrow because again the growing point still under the ground
1: yeah i think another aspect too when you're pushing planting dates a little bit earlier um you know number one is the soil might be a little more moist too when you're pushing earlier there's always the threat of compaction you think Mm -hmm. about sidewall compaction with Mm -hmm. planters uh, you know something i've been told you know bob has said this in the past you know the sins of planting is going to haunt you throughout the entire season you know if you have compaction issues sidewall compaction issues poor root growth that corn plant is basically you know behind throughout the entire season um, when you're just off to a bad start and other aspects are diseases too you Mm -hmm. think about like pythium you know some of these seedling diseases they tend to thrive in those 40 50 degree soil temperatures high soil moisture temperatures you know seed treatments can buy you a little bit of time maybe two to three weeks but if that corn plant's sitting in that soil it's cold it's not emerging you know that seed treatment eventually runs out you and potentially you can be impacted by seedling diseases Um, also you know in are imbibing cold water. Yep. So that chilling inj- injury for corn. So even if I plant my corn, the conditions are, are good, but then in the next couple of days, that temperature drops, we get a cold rainfall, and that corn, basically, that seedling uptakes really cold water. It can damage some of those cell membranes and actually make that corn plant more susceptible to pathogens. It just gets off to a poor start. So Really paying attention to those conditions are just so important. You know, conditions when you're planting, but what are those future conditions, that future forecast as well is really important
3: and soybeans are echoing the same thing right if we're in cool wet conditions seed treatments that's certainly one I want to make sure that we're putting out okay fungicide seed treatments for what you have had in the past in that area whether it's Phytophthora whether it's Pythium or even looking down the road in terms of a disease that you see later state fair time but the infection occurs in early growth early vegetative growth like sudden death syndrome so be mindful of those diseases as we push a planting data as we push planting conditions so then we can can manage for it you know we think about seed treatments I mean yeah two to three weeks is kind of the ballpark number I, I use as well and so it's if we don't have that growth and it's it's planted early enough those roots aren't protected anymore right and so then we're going to have that, that potential injury and again you and I walked fields last year with tother just annihilated areas of the field yeah. because of this wet condition that continued to last forever. And in terms of inhibitional chilling I have not really seen it in the field, but the concept, and we've, we've kind of put this into greenhouse mode, it's really about that, at least on the soybean front, I'm assuming corn's going to be similar, it's really about that first 24 to 36 hours of water uptake. Is that cold water being taken up then? And, and during that point is whenever that inhibitional chilling really occurs. And so if we have a point where we've planted um, and we've taken up good uh, I guess warm or at least lukewarm water and then it drops down I think this potential injury of inhibitional chilling is probably less but yeah. more potential issues with stand establishment because of the disease
1: side of it. Yeah I think it's yeah exactly what you said right you know the first thing that seed does is take up water is when mm-hmm. it's in the ground that first 24 or 36 hours so having that really cold water you're giving that seedling and you know and an you know, initial shock mm-hmm. um, where it gets that cold waters where you have some of that uh, chilling injury, injury occur.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you were to, let's put the opposite framework: <laughs> we got cold soils, but they're dry. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's not going to. I mean, if it's bone dry, there's no inhibitional uh, water take up. Then you're uh, looking. At, okay, when am I getting that ne- next rain event, and is it coming with a 50 degree day or a yeah. 60 or 70 degree day? That's where you can have some other issues uh, pop up from from that cold injury. Sure.
2: So it sounds like maybe patience is key here yeah. in trying to figure out what the what the correct date will be. We we heard from from Dan about, you know, when you start losing some of that yield mm-hmm. potential in corn. What about in soybeans? Like at, at what point yeah. and I know it's a little ways away. We haven't sure. even started planting yet, but sure. at what point do we start getting a little worried?
3: Yeah, worried is uh, is even a strong term because there's going to be varieties and cases where the, from the first week of May, we start to lose yield uh, yield potential. Uh, I have other ones that are later, so I'm still the mid-May is by the time I'm getting the mid-May 15th, May 20th, and if I haven't planted, that's really when I start to consider we're going to be losing three-tenths of a bushel, four-tenths of a bushel per acre per day, Uh, A 10-day delays, you know, three or four bushels conservatively. I've got studies over the years that are upwards of almost eight-tenths, nine-tenths of a bushel per acre per day, and so, I mean, that gives you the range of potential loss, you know, three-tenths to nine-tenths. And so you're three to nine bushel, if you're in the latter half of May, that's not to say that's always going to be the case. And so that's that's where we look at what's the rest of the growing season going to be like? What's our August and September going to be like? If we have ample water then, uh, because normally it's on the opposite side, we tend to be a little drier where we're doing seed fill. Uh, Temperatures can kind of dip, but if we end up having good temperatures, good sunlight during that seed fill, uh, we don't have that kind of a yield loss.
1: I think the, the aspect of you know losing some of that yield, what I talked about earlier, is potential yield. Sure. It might not be actual yield. We don't know what those conditions are going to be, you know, later in the season. There's still aspects where corn is planted, you know, first week of June, and it produces yields, you know, higher than corn that maybe was planted early in poor conditions. So it may impact potential yield, but we may still have you know pretty good conditions uh, later in the season that can drive some high yields still.
3: Mm-hmm. There's one thing that I've been pouring through some of our old, uh, not old data, but it's our past 10 years of data with seeding rate trials and and hopefully come out this week and we can link to it, Eric. But the idea of seeding rates and that's one that we've looked at for years and it's okay as long as we have 100, 120,000 plants, we're more, more than good enough. And one thing that's been very interesting with this, and we've got nearly 60 trials in this and that this tillage no-till comparison, this planter versus drill. And these haven't been head to head comparisons, but it's just the way things work out with these trials, these field scale trials. And so in the no-till versus the conventional till, as we break down, they're almost an even split. And we're needing upwards of 20, 30,000 more seeds in the no-till uh, scenario than conventional till. It makes sense, right? But to actually have some of that backing. And, and then I've also had this for years on the, are you planting with a drill or a planter? because that's gonna make a huge difference when you look at, okay, seed placement within the depth and within the row. And so I think most people can have appreciation again that a planter's gonna do a better job of that. And so we don't need as many seeds, whereas a drill needs more. And so in that case, we're about 30,000 more seeds with a drill compared to a planter. So some of these things to be considering as we get into there, there's been some folks in um, across the, the channels of this, this winter and maybe even last couple of years of planting soybeans ultra early and ultra low. And I just don't see that paying out in terms of that being your plan. Now an ultra low, I'm, I'm talking 50, 60,000 plants is your target. Um, I don't want to go out there saying that's my target, but there's certainly cases where we don't have as much of a yield hit with that kind of a low stand. Uh, so I, I think in the end, we're still if we're around that 90,000. I mean, I, I've built in cushion over the years with 100, 120,000 plants. But usually, if we're anywhere from 70, 90,000 plants, we're not going to do any replant. It's not a target, but understand that we have a lot of ability to branch and make up ground.
1: So. You know, on this topic of planting date, what about planting date? How does that influence you know soybeans? If I plant later, maybe my soils are warmer. Do mm-hmm. I can I get away with the lower population, or or kind of what does your data say on? on yeah, that that's
3: aspect? that's mm-hmm. the one that just smacked me up to, upside the head, Dan. So I appreciate you calling this to light. Here, he hasn't even seen the article yet, but um, <laughs> you know, for I go back to our late planting years, 2019, right? We were having those, and my recommendations come out of the gate you know every week in june basically increase about 10 to 15000 seeds all right and the mindset is going back to the planting date effect soybeans respond to planting date really by heat units and photoperiod this combination and so if we plant timely we have more opportunity for heat unit development which helps us with node development which helps us with pod development where before photoperiod pushes us over As we go into June, we don't have as much influence from heat units as we do photo periods. So now we have short, compact plants. So instead of maybe a 20-noded plant, 20 trifoliate nodes, maybe we're only 15 trifoliate nodes. And so to make up that ground, often I say, okay, let's increase our seeding rate. We need more plants per acre because we have fewer nodes per acre, fewer opportunities for pods. And so that is all true. What's interesting with our data is that when we look at just what's uh, optimal seeding rate, the optimal seeding rate is actually lower for our June plantings versus our May plantings. But when we look at our plant stands, our plant stands are higher in our June plantings than our May. So let me walk, through, walk you through that. I don't have the, the numbers memorized right yet, but more, more cases than not. Let's say we're shooting for 140,000 seeding rate in May. Okay, and it's got these cool wet conditions. Takes a little bit to get established. And so what ends up being our agronomic optimal is maybe 90,000 plants. Whereas we only need to be seeding at 125 or 130,000 in June, warmer conditions, faster stand establishment, and we have more of those established. So instead of a 90,000 plant stand, now we have a 99, 100,000 plant stand. So you have a swing in probably seed rate decreased by probably 10,000, and then you have an increase in plant stand establishment by 10,000. So it's about a 20,000 mm-hmm. swing. So... My message is still the same. We need more plants per acre, but we may not need to be increasing the seeding rates per se because we're able to establish at a much lower rate.
1: Yeah, that germination potential. Yes, is that just germination. Just
3: and, and it's germination. I mean, we have the same germ scores. It's about the, the field conditions for stand establishment. And so mm-hmm. I think that's what it's coming down to. Warmer soils, we're able to establish more of those faster fashion, um, but we definitely do need more plants in that later planting. Mm-hmm.
2: We're going to take a time out here on the Purdue Crop Chat podcast. And and I don't know, Sean, we might just be able to kick Dan out. He's, I mean. Oh, do, he has they, good what,
3: questions. What, what, yeah, what is, no, we're going to leave him in for those. What,
2: what is corn anymore? Yeah, right. yeah. No. no. We'll, no. Let, him, we'll <laughs> let him stick around a little while. But we do need to talk about, since soybeans are going to be king this year in mm. Indiana, uh, those folks that are doing beans on beans, we need to talk about that a little bit. So we'll do that here after the break.
0: Sounds good. Planting a seed is an act of faith. And even if it makes it to maturity, Mother Nature and markets determine the value, right? Not when you've got your corn and soybean checkoffs. The checkoff is like a little seed coat of protection. It's like planting a penny to grow a dollar. In fact, with investments in research, new uses, and demand creation, we've seen a $12 return to the farm for every soybean checkoff dollar invested. Check out your Indiana checkoffs at yourcheckoff.org
2: welcome back to the Purdue crop chat Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosierag today Dan Quinn extension corn specialist is here Sean Castile extension soybean specialist and we've we've been making jokes but it's it's not really a joke soybeans will be uh, planted more in Indiana than corn will be this year and across the. US we had a story uh, just the other day with um, with someone from Iowa State talking about how beans on beans is a bad idea if you have soybean cyst nematodes yes. so we've So we've got, you know, that out there. What are some other concerns uh, out there for doing beans on beans for those that are electing to do that this year?
3: Yeah, I think we, we still have to go down the, the pest route, right? So soybean cyst nematode is definitely at the top of my list. And so in that, just the the brief, okay, understand if you've got it, what level, what, what HG types, and then to go to your variety. Okay, which varieties do I have? If you're going to the fields that are going to be soybeans after soybeans, you probably ought to pick the varieties that have a different source of resistance than probably PI 88, 788, so that's the most common one. So look for peaking, look for a few of those other ones. So on that front is a good starting point. Secondly, uh, when we look at other pests, uh, we talked a lot today about as seedling diseases and so I, I think about the same thing you're going to create an environment where you've got the soybean residue for the said pathogen to you know continue to grow and develop and so then you're just creating another opportunity for even more pathogen development and so I think about making sure that we've got our our seed treatments that are in order uh, to handle some of those whether it's the Pythium, the phytosterous as well as I go back to variety selection, too. Right. So that's one of our, our best sources of managing for these diseases. And OK, look at what what source of resistance or field tolerance, depending on the, the pathogen, depending on the company. That's your starting point in managing managing those. Um, the other things that, that come to my mind, uh, GO WITH THE IDEA THAT um, WHAT ARE WE DOING FOR WEED CONTROL, RIGHT, AND SO ARE WE CREATING ANOTHER ENVIRONMENT WHERE WE'VE GOT HERBICIDE RESISTANT WEEDS THAT HAVE BEEN BUILDING AND NOW WE'RE GOING in to SOYBEANS AGAIN AND HAVE WE DONE A GOOD JOB MANAGING THOSE IN THE PAST? And if we have, okay, maybe not a big deal. If we've had trouble or we're having trouble getting the right herbicide chemis- chemistry that we want this year, that could be a real sticking point. One of the beauties of rotation and not just a, you know kick corn here, is just you know, we can handle some of the disease because we have that ability to rotate and get in some different chemistries. And so I think there is that, that, that beauty that comes into that in terms of agronomic management and also just overall yield benefit in a, a crop rotation.
2: So, Dan? Nah, we don't want to talk to him. Let's keep talking soybeans. <laughs> no, no, really, Dan. I mean, you, you said you were listening this morning to Dr. Langemeyer, and I'm not going to ask you to go and, and become an economist all of a sudden. But, uh, you know, we talked last month uh, when we were at New Orleans for Commodity Classic, and mm. uh, your your former uh, advisor there, Chad Lee, the agronomist down in, in Kentucky, said that the markets are telling you to stick to your rotation, and obviously that's that's not happening. I mean, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, uh, what about coming back later with corn? I mean, what what types of things is this doing? You know, beans on beans, corn on corn. What what is what are some of the impacts of that?
1: Yeah, I think you know, just listening to our economist this morning, you know, he's kind of pointing the, to the aspect that the market is kind of telling folks to maybe navigate away from um, doing soybean on soybean because those profit margins are still pretty high. Um, you know, he made a comment this morning that that kind of stuck with me that maybe profit margins for corn might be as high as what they were in 07 in the first mm-hmm. ethanol boom um, just this year. Um, now those things could definitely tighten and get very, you know, profit margins could get pretty slim in the next few years, but this year um, things are still looking really strong for corn, even with the fertilizer prices mm-hmm. that we have. Um, you know, I think across the state of Indiana and, you know, talking to other agronomists as well, it seems like most farmers are kind of sticking to mm-hmm. their rotation, uh, folks that we've talked to, and it comes back to that profit aspect. Even though, Um, nitrogen fertilizer prices are high and herbicides and all these input costs are high. It's the crop prices are high as well. Um, and it looks like it, they may gravitate that way even throughout this year with some of the issues in Ukraine and some of the issues overseas um, so those profit margins are still there um, and there's still you know pretty good chance to make pretty good profits this year even with some of the nitrogen fertilizer um, issues we're having.
3: One thing that's just kind of crossed in my mind as we talk about this you know more soybean acres and I was just having a conversation yesterday on seed supply and so I mean that's starting to get tight too right in terms of okay is there enough seed is the variety is out there So I I would go ahead and put that out there, too, for our our growers and everything. Okay, if you're making that switch or you're going to do soybeans on soybeans, okay, you're you're going through the list of, okay, good, uh, cyst-resistant package, uh, seed treatments and what diseases and everything else. Okay, let's make sure the variety is available, too, right, so we can go through that. The other aspect on the economics, okay, maintaining on corn or not, uh, is is that other crop, right? We, we do have some wheat acres in the state, and the price looks really good on that. And so thinking through, okay, uh, what can we set up if we're doing any kind of contracting to say, okay, this fall I want to get back into wheat, and I haven't been in wheat for a while. Maybe there, there's some of this coming in. I don't understand all of it, but I mean, think about going with soybeans, plant a little bit earlier, or cut those beans earlier, able to get wheat out in a timely fashion and not having the 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 grass after grass i'm thinking about okay going corn to wheat you know that bridge that can have some issues too right Mm -hmm. so i think there might be some other aspects of this more soybean acres coming into play that potentially it's it's swinging us to have a few more weed acres as well sure
2: uh sean you mentioned weed control and i just kind of want to go back to that for a moment uh, whether they're going you know beans on beans whether they're you know going Mm -hmm. from corn to soybeans That that process is like starting here real soon because it's you know sure uh, starting you know most most of the the agronomists I speak with it it's a program approach you Mm -hmm. know you got to have things and it it starts right about now right
3: right and so I think you want to be able to start with a field that's clean you know if you're going in and you're planting and you've got weeds out there that you haven't managed and you're not going to be able to manage within a day or two of planting uh, recovering from that is is a really hard spot especially whenever we have limited herbicide uh, options so going into it I would love to make sure that we've got a good burn down with the residual and so in that you know as close to planting as possible so then that residual does provide the benefit well into early vegetative growth and then have another overlapping herbicide you know whether you have the 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 contact as well as residual so then you can continue to overlap that one of the things with um doing a herbicide control burn down and residual too early is that okay it peters out all right and then you eventually go and you plant your beans or corn for that matter and then you're losing out on some of that weed control so uh, the timing of that is everything and and that's one of the things with our springs of the last well the 10 plus years i've been here it just seems like we've got really short windows anymore with our field activities and so that includes anything from herbicide spray to our planting to our you know nitrogen so we have to be timely and you know, manage all of that.
1: Yeah, I think the residual aspect is just so important always, but you think about some of the shortages we're having where guys maybe can only do one roundup mm-hmm. class um, this year or in the past maybe they've done two. Uh, you know, talking to some of our weed scientists here at Purdue, one thing they've told me is that, if you could only get one message out when it comes to weed science you know i'm not a weed scientist but if you can just tell folks use your residuals that's you know that's the number one thing using those residuals to give you time um, and a good you know point to where we can get some of that post herbicide applications in but they just do a really good job with controlling some of these weed issues the herbicide resistant weed issues that aren't going away and getting more and more prevalent uh, as we move forward
3: yeah. One, of, one of the other things when we talk about just starting clean with uh, in terms of weeds is to have that application whenever the weeds are actively growing, right? And, and what I mean by that is, okay, you can have a green mat out there or purple. It depends on which, <laughs> which weed we're talking about. But whenever the spray is going on, you want to be able to have that plant actively taking up the herbicide so it does kill it, right? You know, if we don't have that active uh, take, taking it up or uptake, uh, you're going to have troubles with some of that that weed control and so what, that's we're 50 odd degree day today but i mean chance of snow it seems like 40 degrees and so yeah. you know we're talking 40 degree type weather again fields aren't fit right now but as we dry out we also need to warm up so then these weeds will take up the herbicide and get burned down and then follow through with our residual for those that are handling the the germinating seeds
2: Gentlemen, as we wrap up today's podcast, uh, final thoughts as we rapidly approach, some have already started, mm-hmm. uh, planting season here. I assume the the key message is, is be patient at this point.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, first thing I want to say is heavy is the head that wears the crown, you know, <laughs> this year. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, that wasn't <laughs> self inflicted either. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you think about corn, one thing I've tried to tell folks this year is is chase soil conditions not calendar date um just because it's a certain calendar date and you're Mm -hmm. getting ants it's harder you know it's harder said than done you know you know i feel like some folks like to plant early just so they can tell us agronomists that hey look i planted before you said i should and and look i had the best yields i ever had so they love telling us that and that's possible yeah it's also possible to
3: have some of the worst yields that (laughs) you're at unless you replanted that same field (laughs) exactly
1: Um, but chasing those soil conditions instead of calendar date getting that corn plant into you know good soil moisture conditions good soil temperature you know that soil is beginning to warm up we're in those soil temperatures of you know 60 70 degrees we want rapid emergence we want uniform emergence too so even if that corn plant comes up but if we have corn plants that are you know two three growth stages behind that corn plant is behind you know significant yield loss is going to happen from that as well so we want that corn plant to come up timely rapid uniform and that happens when we have good soil moisture conditions good soil temperature conditions because you know planting is the start if we have issues at planting we're going to have issues throughout the entire season so we want to do the best possible um management to get that corn plant off to a good start
3: so dan i know we're trying to wrap up but i, I can't help but think so rapid it, starts. you
2: you're, you're the king do your thing <laughs>
3: <laughs> well you know I don't, let's go and take that tangent now, right? <laughs> uh, take a breath. No, I mean last year I was Debbie Downer, so I'm King now. So there king. has been a major transformation in a year's time. King
2: Castilla.
3: Oh mercy! No, but but Dan, you talk about a, a rapid emergence a rapid uh, establishment. What's rapid or what's ideal or because there's got to be a ballpark. And mm-hmm. I, I've heard over the years, you know, I want all my corn up within six hours of each other. <laughs> I mean, so uh, give us an idea. Of what yeah, do you yeah, mean you, by rapid? it's
1: right around you know a week to 10 days um typically when you have those soil temperatures that hover around 60 degrees 65 degrees that corn plant can get out of the ground in about seven days Mm -hmm. um so having that corn you know out in that seven to ten days, rather than having it, you know, planted, hovered around fifty degrees, yep. it stays around fifty degrees. That corn plant sits in the ground for two, three, four weeks. Um, that's not what we want. Right. So getting it, you know, there's aspects where you plant even in higher soil temperatures, you can get that corn plant out in three to five days. Sure. Um, sure. But having it. I, you know, prefer right around that wheat. And I think
3: about some of the bacterial blights and things Mm -hmm. like that that can come in on the corn side. So Mm -hmm. I just want to – you said rapid, and I I wanted to be clear and have that message. What what is rapid? And so (laughs) I I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, In terms of the the soybean front, I mean, yes, we want to make sure that we have field conditions that are fit, plant timely, uh, that is the thing with soybeans, uh, again, that, that we can set, okay, heat units and photo period to set the stage for no development, pod development, and, and all that comes in with that, uh, reproductive development on branches as well as reproductive period. Whereas corn, I mean, it's heat unit accumulation, then you have to worry about some of the dry down on the tail end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, soybeans, I think we can still gain a little bit from that timely planting. I don't mind being in the in the soil for uh, a few weeks, uh, but I don't want to be in the soil uh, for a few. Few weeks because we planted in inappropriate field conditions at the start, right? Um, and so in that, I think we gain a lot in terms of the ability to have good reproductive development in nodes and, and pods. And the other part of that is if ideally, yes, I'd like to have uniform emergence like you're talking about on corn. If that doesn't happen on soybeans, it's not to kiss the death for that delayed mm-hmm. plant. Uh, whereas in corn, it's probably more times than not going to become a barren plant, right? Mm-hmm. And so within soybeans, that's that's where they're adapting. That that delayed a merger it will probably have um, fewer nodes, and certainly fewer reproductive branches. And so a pod load on that plant is going to be lower, but not nil it's not going to be nothing but you've got the other plants around it that are adapting and and branching so in the end I mean I still want uniform emergence as much, much as possible but if we don't get it it's not a kiss of death by any means so plant timely good field conditions mind your seed rates so you can have some pretty good economic returns and uh, start clean
2: Good luck to all of our farmers out there as they start this planting season. Good luck to the two of you as you start, you know, planting and doing some things for, uh, for your research here on campus. And we appreciate the time and we'll do this again here. And uh, we might hopefully be in the midst of planting when we, when we do that. We'll, we'll see how things go. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric.
0: This has been Purdue Crop Chat, a regular series featuring Purdue Extension's Dr. Dan Quinn and Dr. Sean Castile, made possible by the Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoffs, the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, and the Indiana Soybean Alliance. The Checkoffs are pleased to help bring you agronomy insights from Purdue Extension. Purdue Crop Chat, a service of Purdue University Extension. And who's your ag today? Timely, relevant, credible.